0: Uh, Hello,
1: everyone, and welcome to uh, Shot Reverse Shot, uh, where myself and Ed... Hello, Ed. Hello. We'll this week be talking about comebacks. Um, I'll be talking about comebacks and uh, kind of career... Uh, renaissances um, because a recent story about True Detective, a show that we very much enjoy um, has kind of f- finally played its hand and revealed a few cast members um, which brings up the, uh, the the kind of subject of comebacks um, for why Ed?
0: Uh, well because True Detective, the the first season kind of very much played into the uh, what's become known as the reconnaissance, mm-hmm. the return to uh, critical favour Uh, of Matthew McConaughey who spent much of the 90s and a great portion of the 2000s kind of out of favour starring in lots of rom-coms that people didn't like and generally there was a sense that he was someone who had tremendous talent and had demonstrated it in films that you and I love like Lone Star and uh, Dazed and Confused and even in stuff like A Time to Kill in which he was very good uh, anchoring what is kind of a very lurid kind of potboiler and he just kind of seemed to throw that all away and then suddenly a couple of years ago he you know reinvented himself doing stuff like Bernie and Killer Joe and Magic Mike and it kind of all, it all kind of uh, coalesced together in uh, True Detective and Dallas Buyers Club which were kind of all happening at the same time Mm. and uh, because of that, you know the, the the True Detective casting news is that they've so far cast Colin Farrell and Vince Vaughn, who are both men who have been around for a long period of time and have but kind of had points where they've been box office draws and or critical favourites, often not at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, in the case of Colin Farrell, his his kind of greatest success of successes often came in films that people didn't like, um, and the idea of them being cast in the second season of true detective is kind and also taylor kitch who is rumored to be the, the kind of the third lead male lead in it uh, there's this idea that the show would be able to help kind of revive their flagging careers and their their kind of flagging fortunes and so uh, that kind of was the impetus to to discuss comebacks in general
1: um kind of talking about the true detective news um... Vince Vaughn is very much someone who uh when you hear the news you think oh that might not work but you only think that because of all the shit that he's been responsible for <laughs> he's he's been kind of um uh playing Vince Vaughn for or uh, the kind of schlub version of Vince Vaughn for for you know the best part of 15 years now um and it's got very tiresome so i mean someone to like someone like me who uh, I kind of remembers, you know. Vince Vaughn did turn in a good performance once or twice in his career. Um, I'm actually intrigued to see what he's got. He's got to do Colin Farrell as well. Um, I kind of uh, the other day um, was kind of sorting through some old DVDs and I kind of came across a a, a copy of Tigerland, uh, which I had. Uh, have you seen that the Joel Schumacher film?
0: No, I, I, is that a, a Vietnam War
1: film? It is. Yeah, I mean, it's the film that was Colin Farrell's kind of first lead. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was also Joel Schumacher's, uh, uh, well, one of his good films, I guess you could okay. call it, because he doesn't really make a lot of them. Um, and yeah, it was just like, I think Joel Schumacher had been kind of very much fed up after the, the Batman and Robin debacle, and he kind of shot this film on 16mm with a load of actors who weren't very famous. And it's not great, it's not like, you know, a masterpiece or anything, but Colin Farrell's certainly very magnetic in it, and that's kind of what turned Hollywood onto him. And I kind of think, well, just kind of needs something like that. He's kind of become a bit of a punchline, hasn't he? He, he kind of uh, very much, very quickly fell into that uh, uh, Hellraiser kind of mode uh, without having earned it first.
0: Yeah, he he and I think he's probably had more kind of a, a critical reassessment, sort of post in Bruges. Mm. I think that probably uh, reminded people that he's so he's, he can be really really great whereas but then he kind of nothing really came of it after that you know he still shows up and stuff and he's still kind of reliably good but he's nothing he's done has really caught on to quite that extent whereas vince vaughan you know he had his peak in the early to early to mid 2000s um and then he's just kind of coasted on it Mm. which to one extent is understandable you know he's some guy he's a guy who um you, you get the sense he kind of was on the fringes for a very long time he's someone who was a working actor who never really seemed to even after swingers you know he he kind of got a few gigs but he didn't become kind of a real cultural force mainly because he chose to be in um jurassic park the lost world and the remake of psycho which aren't really Mm. going to make you uh icons um but then you know he he kind of fell into that whole, you know, the frat pack idea of uh, being in things like Old School and Dodgeball and briefly in Anchorman and that whole scene kind of really made his career and then when those films stopped kind of making as much money, uh, he kind of got, he was uh, more or less forgotten about, but he's kept making those kind of films, stuff like The Internship and The Watch, which no one really cares about. Um, but he's someone who, you know, even in that Psycho remake, he's, he kind of does interesting things with a role that uh, would have been thankless for absolutely anyone. Um, or Clay Pigeons, he's really good in. So he's a guy who could do Dark well and who could use his kind of considerable height and bulk to great effect in a serious and dark crime role. Um, so you kind of get a sense that it would be good for him and could perhaps push him to try something new and different... Mm. but at the same time, there's no guarantee that that would then mean that he wouldn't just go and do the internship too.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Um, he likes to work, doesn't he, Vince Vaughan? Um If the Taylor Kitsch rumours are true, and let's face it, Vince Vaughan and Colin Farrell were rumoured for a long time and they turned out to be true and they were really the only names mentioned in the frame, uh, Kitsch isn't someone who necessarily needs a comeback. He just needs a hit because he's, uh, uh, yeah, he's, he's been in a few shits, hasn't he? <laughs>
0: It's only really a comeback if, like me, you're a huge fan of his work on Friday Night Lights, which was a show that always had kind of a cultish appeal and was never kind of a huge hit, but was fiercely loved by the people who loved it. And uh, with in, the, in that case, you know, he was kind of one of the breakout stars of that show. He was someone who people thought would go on to really great things, and then he got signed to be in a bunch of big blockbusters that did nothing Mm -hmm. (laughs) that were very costly flops and uh and so he's kind of uh someone who needs a comeback just to kind of remind the people who uh loved him on Friday Night Lights of the great work that he can do but also to kind of introduce that quality to people who just think of him as the guy who headlined uh John Carter
1: yeah absolutely he's kind of just in need of a breakout really isn't he
0: yeah, and I I hope that um, he does get it and that it does work for him and that the whole season's not a massive flop and disappointment that destroys everyone involved, which seems to be... It can only be, like, a tra- a tremendous success or an absolute failure at this point. Yeah. <laughs> that seems to be the way it's going, and I, I would hope that it is a success and that he kind of becomes uh, the star that he... Uh, or, or gets the chances that he perhaps deserves.
1: mm Totally. Um, in terms of career comebacks, um, I kind of interested to read the other day that um, uh, in a list of kind of highest earning stars, uh, Robert Downey Jr. is number one now. Um, which, given you know, if you think about kind of maybe fifteen years, that seems kind of inconceivable. Um, uh, he has kind of had the most uh, kind of ridiculous comeback from you know being a hugely talented actor in the kind of late eighties, early nineties, and and uh, making a few films, getting Oscar nominated for Chaplin and things like that, um, and then obviously he had a lot of personal problems, and then he kind of tried to make a comeback in in things like Alien Mobile and, and ended up getting kind of fired from that show for kind of lapsing back into his old ways. Um, but then he kind of went on a run, didn't he? And and uh, he did films like uh, Good Night and Good Luck, uh, Guide to Recognizing Your Saints, uh, Zodiac, uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which is a a really great film, uh, and then uh, kind of he kind of hit the mother load with Iron Man. Um, what makes uh, Robert Downey Jr. Uh, his comeback? Is it is it building exponentially on 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 what makes you come back, and kind of having solid choices, and then you know hitting major pay dirt with a big big thing? Is that what kind of solidifies a comeback? Because there's been so many examples of actors who have made a comeback and then fallen, you know. Literally a couple of films later,
0: I, I do think that his kind of that that period of uh, rehabilitation in the early two thousands is probably key to it because you know it established that he could work sober, that he could do great work. Um, stuff like Kiss Kiss Bang, Bang Bang reasserted what a charismatic lead he could be, mm-hmm. and I think that there's a lot of that persona, that particular persona, you can definitely see in his version of Iron Man. And I think that being in stuff like that that got critical. Kind of plaudits, and the fact that he made, like you say, a string of these films in a row, you know, uh, probably really helped Uh, because it wasn't just like, oh, he showed up for work a few times and he did really good work on one film and then he relapsed instantly. It was that it was a consistent and his films, the films didn't make a huge amount of money. Uh, Like Zodiac was a notorious uh, money loser. and good night and good looks was kind of a a, a a moderate success and you know but they were films that got it out there that he wanted to work and that he could do the job mm. and then you know obviously since getting iron man i think the key to his longevity is that he has uh, been fairly humble about it all he's not kind of used it to, uh, like bankroll some passion project that Can't completely blows up in his face the way that John Travolta did with Battlefield Earth. Yep. Um, Which I think is probably the ultimate example of someone using the capital from a comeback to make something that they deeply care about and no one else does. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, You know, he's not done anything like that. He has, since, you know, he had that chance to make a huge film and to make a huge amount of money, he has been very careful in his choices he's you know done a few smaller films but he's recognized that the way to make to to really kind of get the money to do the small things he wants is to make the marvel films and to renegotiate very very uh uh, very profitable contracts for himself Mm. uh, to make just really staggeringly huge amounts of money and uh, i think that is kind of the key He, he realizes uh with probably a relatively little ego where his bread is buttered at this point
1: similar kind of uh, situation for ben affleck i suppose uh where well, he kind of a more more a parallel to uh, uh matthew mcconaughey in the sense that you know he had a kind of a big surge of kind of uh, popularity and then uh kind of got a bit lazy it might be fair to say uh, and then kind of became a bit of a self-parody um if you think about ben affleck making Pearl Harbor in 2001. I think Armageddon was a bit before that. And then he was kind of making Daredevil, Gigli, shit like Surviving Christmas and Paycheck. And and then he, you know, the whole Benefer kind of uh, tabloid uh, circus didn't help him. And then, you know, he made um, Gone Baby Gone, which is uh, a film I'm not hugely fond of, but, you know, it really did turn around his fortunes and then if you look at like the last few films he's made with the exception of something like Runner Runner uh, they've all been kind of you know he's worked with Terrence Malick he's kind of done The Town uh, obviously Argo was you know a huge critical and kind of award success um, and now he's got uh, Gone Girl out which is uh, getting kind of rave reviews he's he's kind of uh, making it count hasn't he I think he perhaps looks back at his IMDb profile and thinks shit dude I can't go back to Surviving Christmas <laughs>
0: Uh yeah I think his in in his case it's he was a bit unfortunate in that his his personal life really like I guess like probably Danny Junior his personal life really kind of overshadowed the work you know he didn't have the the you know the arrests and the drugs and everything but he became this tabloid fixture and that made it very difficult for people to take him serious as an actor mm for a very long time even when he was in stuff that people um that was like popular and liked and you know but then he was in Gili, which was kind of the perfect storm of that because it was a film in which he was co-starring with his then girlfriend in this very kind of public flop uh which became really notorious even though hardly anyone saw it Mm -hmm. um and then he like McConaughey, like uh, Robert Downey Jr., he kind of took a step back and then reapplied to himself in... But unlike those guys where he applied himself to small projects as an actor, he applied he reapplied himself to small projects, you know, as a director. And I think that even though he's not in Gone Baby Gone, it is it, it was something that I think probably had an even bigger effect on people's reassessment of him. You know, he this guy who had... Whose uh, skills as an actor hadn't really been pushed very much, and he kind of became just known as a tabloid fixture and a pretty face. To suddenly kind of see that he can make you know this really kind of critically well-regarded film, and then uh, also at the same sort of time he, he co-starred in um, Hollywoodland, where he played George Reeves, which got was a film that not many people saw, but got really really good notices for him. Mm. So again, the the. Comeback wasn't really built around a single big thing until Argo kind of came along and really blew up. Um, but it was about spending years of just working on small projects and just ensuring that the quality was there more than anything else.
1: Mm. Um, someone very similar, and we kind of, we'll move on from this in a second, but uh, Drew Barrymore uh, mm. in, in a kind of direct parallel to Robert Downey Jr um, also had a very kind of troubled uh, kind of personal life, or she found fame at an incredibly early age, um and then kind of slipped into that kind of wild child persona um and uh yeah kind of was making kind of what what would uh, politely term erotic thriller <laughs> uh, uh you know um and then scream came along, which is you know she obviously she 's only in it for ten minutes uh spoiler she gets killed um but that was something that kind of completely reinvigorated her and then. She was seen as a kind of an appealing romantic lead. She did a dramatic roles. She produced stuff that she uh, produced. Donnie Darko, didn't she? Uh, and then she directed uh, Whip It which is a film I very much enjoy. Um, and yeah, she's kind of now uh, kind of a well-established uh, like Hollywood figure.
0: Yeah, I think hers is kind. It's kind of like a mix of the Affleck and the Robert Downey Jr. Because she also uh, kind of moved into produce. Her key thing was moving into producing mm. and to kind of have a, a, a career that wasn't just about acting, because obviously acting's a very fickle sort of thing, and it's particularly uh, cruel to actresses over time. At a certain point, the the roles just aren't there, uh, unfortunately. Um, and I think that that has allowed her to kind of build up a, a second career that has really kind of benefited her, especially as, uh, in recent years, she's kind of not been in films as much, but she's still been kind of... She's, there's still the sense that she's really a force behind the scenes.
1: Yeah. So I think what we've kind of realised is that, the, you know, sustainable comebacks rely on good choices. um can we kind of, uh, with any kind of particular dose of schadenfreude, uh, talk about maybe some people whose uh, comebacks haven't quite uh, taken the world by storm? I mean, we talked a couple of weeks ago on the uh, Alternate 100 podcast, we talked about boogie nights, and uh, Burt Reynolds was obviously uh, handed an amazing chance to make a comeback and turned in... You know, one of the performances of his career having been you know one of Hollywood's most popular leading men in the 70s uh, to kind of like a, a joke in the 80s to then turn in in kind of 97 when he was kind of just plucked from irrelevance really to turn in absolutely fantastic performance in Paul Thomas Anderson's film um, and he kind of, well suffice to say he blew it
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that, um unlike Robert Downey Jr. I think Ego plays a huge amount there because he famously, I think we talked about this on the podcast. He badmouthed the film until it came out and got really good reviews, mm-hmm. um, and then he had to do kind of a horrible double take, a, a horrible, yeah, a horrible kind of reverse face, and suddenly start talking about how how good it was. And you know, he got an Oscar nomination, and I think there's there's a general theory that his bad mouthing the film lost him the Oscar
1: mm-hmm.
0: because everyone was just kind of like, we well, don't want to give it to that asshole. No. <laughs> if he bad mouths the film, that could you know give him the springboard. And I think. Uh, that bad publicity around that probably played a part in it. But also, uh, he seems like the sort of person who, you know, he gets an Oscar nomination and then just assumes that the roles are going to come rather than having to work for them.
1: Mm.
0: Uh, And then, you know, he just kind of uh, is now a joke again. (laughs) Um, uh, uh, Although... uh, in the case of something like Archer a fairly kind of loving joke but I think for for people who aren't uh, Sterling Archer he is again kind of in the same position he was in the mid-90s just kind of a punchline from a a forgotten era
1: Yeah, You mentioned John Travolta and uh, specifically um, Tarantino as as a kind of a a bit of a gift of kind of um, uh, pulling a kind of uh, a faded star or faded icon in particular um, and you know reinventing them for a modern age, uh, by reminding everyone what was so good about them in the first place. I mean, John Travolta was uh, from you know Pulp Fiction that kind of kind of really did it for him and you know things like Robert Forster and Pam Greer in uh, Jackie Brown, um David Carradine in, you know, Kill Bill. He kind of has a gift for it, but John Travolta was the, the kind of most high most high profile of those. Um and um you know he did like get shorty afterwards which was kind of pretty cool. Uh and then it kind of fell away from there and he obviously became a huge um hugely kind of uh successful actor in the sense he was getting big kind of paydays um i don't think it was too long after pop fiction he was back up in the kind of like 10 15 million dollar per film category but like good grief yeah looking <laughs> at looking at his cv since then pop fiction feels like a lot more than to uh, fuck dude it's 20 years ago Pulp Fiction
0: yeah his, his is a kind of a textbook example of someone who returned to prominence and then uh, again kind of just assumed the work would be there I mean he was very lucky in that he got a couple of films in a row that were really kind of um, were really suited to his particular skill set and that ha- ended up being really good mm. and then rather than kind of seeking out uh, people who could do good work again he just seemed to go for the money and the money eventually dried up, and he hadn't really got the uh, back catalogue of great performances in recent years to justify the goodwill that he built up from Pulp Fiction.
1: Mm. And then it gets reaches its uh, uh, absolute kind of lowest ebb with something like, uh, is it Road Hogs or Wild Hogs?
0: Yeah, Wild Hogs. Also, Old Dogs, which is uh, uh, another one that these kind of really terrible uh, soulless comedies that just kind of cram a load of. Uh, Older actors together and just hope that uh, people want to see them in a film together. Mm. Uh, although in Wild Hulks it somehow worked and that film was like wildly successful, mm. but uh, no one was doing their best work in that.
1: No, absolutely not. Um, and now he just kind of turns up and does really weird stuff like he was singing You're the One That I Want with the Australian football team at the World <laughs> Cup, which was really weird. So kind of they're all stood behind him, really embarrassing. He's just singing it waving a football around, or he's like a spokesman <laughs> for Qantas Airlines or whatever. Just, you know, kind of a bit odd. Is um, a debatable one. Has uh, Mickey Rourke's more recent career renaissance uh, been successful or not?
0: I would, uh, uh, Critically, I'd say it was not. Right. Uh, because, you know, he, he kind of made a big splash with Sin City, which was his kind of return to prominence and... Uh, was a, a role that kind of played on the fact that his his kind of good looks were completely obliterated by years of being a boxer and just abusing his body. Mm. Um, and, and he kind of reinvented himself as this kind of hulking but soulful figure. Uh, and then that was the... Uh, then led to The Wrestler, which he got an Oscar nomination for, and was a film that really played up the idea of him as someone who... You know, had once been great, had really fallen on hard times, and you know, just, we just wanted one more chance, and so it had this uh, this kind of intertextual quality where it felt like he was really voicing his own emotions, his own emotions were paying into that. Uh, but then, since then, you know, he used that to turn in a, a not particularly good performance in Iron Man 2. Uh, he's been saddled with the Expendables films, so he's still working, and he's probably getting bigger paychecks than he was prior to the rest of in Sin City. But, you know, it, it doesn't feel like the quality of the work seen in those two films has resurfaced since.
1: There's a bit in Expendables 1, uh, and I can say that with certainty because I've not seen the other two, but Mickey Rourke has to emote, and he's kind of uh, talking to someone and he starts crying, and it just looks like, you know, like one of those dolls that kids have that cries, like <laughs> a really badly <laughs> melted one of those <laughs> is like malfunctioning and just like kind of seeping. It was it's just so weird to try and see him emote through that face. Uh he gets he gets more kind of range from through his prosthetics in Sin City, even though he's barely recognizable <laughs> than he does through his own face. Uh which is you know, they say they're an actor's uh greatest, you know, tool is their face. Well they don't say that, I just did. But um good grief that's a mangled tool. Um, yeah,
0: and and as uh to quote the black books, his face looks like his trousers. So <laughs>
1: yeah yeah um uh i you sent some episode notes over uh, this is for for the for the listeners at home this is a real inside look at how we prepare for these uh, these episodes um and uh, ed sent me an email uh with like you know some kind of structure for the sh- structure yes uh and uh, there's a bit that it just says failed comebacks colon schwarzenegger <laughs>
0: Yeah, I get the feeling I was going to think of more, but I kind of felt that his his was kind of uh, emblematic of, of a comeback that just hasn't happened.
1: Mm. Is it at fair, all? is it fair to say that he you know he was it was kind of technically a comeback, but he he had kind of stepped away from acting to do some politics.
0: Yeah, it, it, it it's definitely a comeback in that he was away for a great period of time from the thing that he was known for, and then he had a a less than successful stint as the governor governor of California and you know i think his is a really good example of a comeback done badly and that he tried to go back into doing exactly what he had done before he left office before he, he he took up office whereas if you look at you know um robert Downey jr uh mickey rourke you know they are they're or burt reynolds they're people who basically reinvented themselves mm. in their comeback roles they uh Presented uh, something that people hadn't seen them do, and that made them interesting again, and and uh, led to either a limited period of, of relevance or a prolonged period of relevance. Whereas Schwarzenegger uh, came back with the Expendables for a cameo, and that was essentially just um, him. Uh, kind of coasting on nostalgia for the sort of films he used to make and then all the films he made since then are doing exactly the same sort of thing he's doing the sort of films they used to make in the 80s and 90s when he was a huge star but now you know he's been away for a while people have moved on the people who were like fans of him in the 90s and the 2000s don't really want to see old Arnold Schwarzenegger doing that and the people who are younger than that who didn't see his films that, that he was made just don't really know who he is mm. um, and it's that sort of thing where he was away from film for a very short period of time, relatively speaking. But, you know, because of the, the sort of demographic for action movies is kind of like young uh, young men, uh, they'd all basically aged out of him and a whole generation have come up who just don't really care about him. The most they could think of him as like, he's kind of like that guy from The Simpsons.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And it's... it's... It's they are just kind of making the exact same films again, but like the the hook is that oh he's an old he's an old guy. Um, like a film of his that I actually enjoyed, uh, the Last Stand. Did you see that?
0: No, I've been meaning to because I really like the director, but I've just not got round to it.
1: It's pretty good, man. Mm. Um, but it's exactly like you can imagine that that's a, a script that was sat was written for Arnold Schwarzenegger in like nineteen eighty six and mm. never got made, and they just dusted it off and was just like. I just change, like, just put some jokes about like how his hips hurt <laughs> in there, um, and it is. I, I thought it was kind of good. I mean, it's not great, uh, but you know, it's uh, it's enjoyable. But yeah, bit article in that failed failed comeback. Ed, I think you're a bit cruel on Mister Schwarzenegger. Um, <laughs> I, I,
0: I just think that that's a really good example of of someone not quite getting a handle on it. You know, maybe he has a role in him that can make people reconsider him, but um, by just kind of doing action films, where they just make. Jokes about him being old every so often, it does reinforce the idea that he hasn't really got anything else to offer, mm. which has kind of been the same problem that um, Sylvester Sloan has because he came back with Rocky Balboa, which is a film that really emphasized the fact that he's getting old and was all about aging and was all about, you know, a, a guy who's kind of a loser wanting one final shot of glory, so there was kind of a poignancy to it. But in a uh, but since then, he's just basically gone back to making the sort of films he made before. But then occasionally, they make jokes about his hip or something, mm. and it kind of feels like uh, he his is the really disingenuous one because he suggested that he had more kind of more to offer and more depth as an actor and a writer, and then he's demonstrated that he has none of that. He he just wanted people to kind of remember that they liked him enough to bankroll his next uh, decade of films.
1: Yeah, yeah. He, again, he's another one that's just cycling through. You know, after Rocky, obviously, he did Rambo. Uh And then, obviously, this whole uh, Expendables gravy train that he's kind of riding. It's kind of, you know, he's pretty tired, isn't it
0: Especially when you look back. He, he kind of had his first failed comeback with Copland, mm. which was meant to be him moving away from all that stuff and demonstrating they had more to offer. But then that film didn't get the acclaim or the success that he perhaps felt he wanted, so straight so within a few years he was doing the like remakes of um of uh Get Carter and things like that. Mm. So he just went straight back to doing what he'd always been doing, but now no one cared.
1: Yeah, I would I would recommend to anyone who's into uh I don't know what's the polite way to put this, appalling films. Uh <laughs> watch the film Detox that he star starred in where kind of go undercover in a in a detox facility. Just to, oh, man. Man alive. That's like a film that was written by a committee of people who'd never written a film before, but by pulling random things out of a hat and then just kind of mumbling them into an order. And then, uh, yeah, they just shot that. Uh, and that's just like, right, well, that'll do. Uh, that's terrible. I wouldn't recommend that at all. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, what about comebacks, actual comebacks in films that kind of characters or... Uh, people in films have kind of experienced in the narrative of the film for example uh,
0: I think one of the the best ones in that it's kind of a comeback that doesn't really happen but you still feel really emotionally involved is from the documentary Anvil the story mm-hmm. of Anvil where you have this band from the 80s a hair metal band who uh, you know this is my own personal preference but are terrible <laughs> um, you know, they make music that's not very good but they are guys who are kind of so uh, are such kind of down in the look and just so kind of nice and Canadian uh, that you kind of feel for them when they have to go on a tour around Europe and they're playing to like one guy who's really into them and then a club of people who just have no interest at all and they it, it, over the course of the documentary you just see them get kind of really beat up by being guys in their 50s who still dream of being rock stars and it just isn't happening for them Mm. Um, and then seeing, like, at the end of the film, they go to a gig in Japan where people actually know them, and they kind of get that moment. I think that's a really uh, nice example of a of a comeback that doesn't really happen, but that watching the people struggle for it is is really kind of emotionally uh, engaging.
1: Mm. It's in kind of following on from that and other music documentaries, a couple of uh, good ones that that feature kind of great comebacks um searching with sugar man our film of the mm-hmm. year two years ago uh literally a man comes back from the dead uh to uh, make a kind of huge comeback and if you followed rodriguez's career since then it's you know it's pretty astonishing and, and well deserved one uh, and also another one uh, i suppose you could probably count something like the buena vista social club uh where you know a lot of these kind of old cuban musician guys who kind of uh their, their careers had kind of uh, not fallen into irrelevance because they were still kind of in and around Cuba, kind of well-regarded, but they were kind of brought onto this world stage as kind of old-timers and getting the renown that they've kind of you know craved and deserved all these years.
0: Yeah, I think that the best ones tend to be music and sports because I think those are areas in the real world which have kind of those narratives built in anyway. You know, when David Bowie put out an album last year, it was his comeback album because he hadn't put out an album in ages. Uh, Sports teams, they're always talking about sports teams being on the outs and, you know, making a comeback and, you know, returning to kind of great power and great relevance again. And I think that's why those stories tend to work really well on screen. Um, I'm trying to think of any really good ones about, like, actors making a comeback.
1: What about the uh, HBO show, The Comeback?
0: uh which is coming back for a, coming back itself this year I'm really quite looking forward to that. Yeah that's a good that's a good example of one where um exploring the idea of a comeback as a, an outlet for a, someone's kind of narcissism. Um mm. and I think that that is an area that or, or similarly um uh, episodes the uh showtime showtime yeah I think showtime show which is where Matt LeBlanc plays himself mm. uh which kind of has the same sort of thing to it where uh, you investigate characters who had a taste of fame and are just kind of desperate to get it back, which I think is why when you make films about like actors who have kind of fallen by the wayside and really want to be great again they're a lot more kind of cloying and desperate and darker than maybe a lot of sports and music ones, which can be quite quite uh, dark in their own way, but in those ones there 's kind of a sense that people are doing it for pride or you know to or not you know to kind of get some sort of uh, to do some sort of something great, whereas uh, I think with actors it's probably you know we want to be famous and make money, mm. and it's a little more uh, uh, crass.
1: Yeah, to so Sunset Boulevard.
0: Oh yeah, that's a that's a definitely one of pure narcissism and uh, delusion entirely in the glorious once in character. There is someone who is uh, using the dream of a comeback to. Uh, to kind of sustain her own sort of fading memories mm. uh, and there some wonderfully uh, uh, uncomfortable moments in that film particularly the sequence where she goes to see Cecil B. De- DeMille and uh, it's just heartbreaking seeing her how completely delusional she is that she doesn't realise that uh, this man from her past has absolutely no interest in her now
1: um, Do you think that in kind of like five years time uh, we'll be making our comeback at after uh, three years of just kind of asinine mediocre programming
0: uh well I, I think uh around year four when the heroin really kicks in
1: mm.
0: we'll definitely need to come back from that yeah. that's going to make for some fun sludgy episodes
1: can you think of uh,
0: can you think of anyone who you personally feel deserves a comeback
1: um yes um i would think that the person i would like to see uh, make a comeback someone who is nearly exclusively for the last 10 years made shit, uh, is uh, John Cusack.
0: Hmm.
1: He is uh, kind of uh, almost really verging on DTV action thriller territory. Um, doesn't seem to give too much of a shit what he does these days. Um, and there was a, I think there was a film out uh, last year or the start of this year where Nicolas Cage dropped out and they replaced him with John Cusack. As if, like, the two are interchangeable now. Uh, obviously, Nicolas Cage uh, has, has done some kind of, like, with the, the David Gordon Green film we did earlier this year, um, you know, still has good work left in him. But the idea that generally he's considered a kind of walking, kind of punchline, uh, uh, a kind of ready-made internet meme, Um that John Cusack could just easily replace him and no one, they re- would never have to write, rewrite the script or anything because John Cusack is just, you know, he just turns up playing, you know, in these kind of like, you know, thriller by numbers. And I, I think it's kind of crazy. You think, what, like, watch things like Gross Point Blank and even High Fidelity. I'm not a huge fan of High Fidelity, but uh, the guy's got something that no one else has. Uh, it's just kind of weird, dark charisma. Um, and, it's, you know, when are we going to see that again?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's actually an interesting point because I had Nicolas Cage as someone who I feel deserves a comeback, but I think John Cusack is is in kind of a worse position with him because, you know, Nicolas Cage is always working and you kind of get a sense that even his shitty films, a lot of them still end up in theatres. Mm. And they may not do very well and they may not get good reviews, but he's someone who still kind of seems to be able to get his films like out there and he's someone who people still know and he's he's not someone that people have forgotten about whereas yeah John Cusack people just don't really talk about anymore you know he had a sort of a, a moderate hit with Hot Tub Time Machine a few years ago and that's kind of the last time he was really uh he kind of really made an impact so yeah I, I'd really like to see him you know maybe write something again because he co-wrote High Fidelity and uh, Gross Point Blank and Gross Point Blank in particular is a fantastic film and I'd re- I really like to see him kind of reunite with those guys again and, and do something interesting rather than, you know, whatever he's doing now, kind of just coasting or being in stuff that no one really is interested in including, it seems, himself. Yeah. Um, my choice for someone who I think really deserves a comeback uh, and it's weird to talk about him deserving a comeback because he has a film out at the moment, is Terry Gilliam mm. because um there was an interesting article, I can't remember where, where it was, I read it, but there was an interesting article talking about how the worst thing to happen to Terry Gilliam in the uh, last 10, 15 years was his discovery of CGI. Right. Um, and the fact that he uses it now extensively in all of his films and how that has allowed him to kind of realise his visions in a way that's probably a little closer to what's in his head. Because he's uh, an animator, you know, he's always had an animator's eye and he, his uh, visions have always kind of been a bit more fantastical, but they've lost their tactile quality in that sense of a world that's almost kind of conscripted, constructed from scraps, which you can really see in, like, Brazil, where his image of a of a dystopia is, you know, a future that's built from kind of the failed inventions of the past. And I would really like to see him... Uh, return to something that's a little more physical that isn't like, you know, the imaginary of Dr. Parnassus where huge swathes of it are uh, these kind of garish, uh, completely weightless CGI creations. i like to see him do something really raw and physical. And that's why I really would like to see him finally make The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. But using, like, the techniques that you see him trying to use in Lost in La Mancha... Mm. where they have all of that physical stuff now and you know he always talks about how he's you know working on that and i think he's trying to get it made now with john hurt in the lead role and he's kind of rewriting it and uh, yeah there's just this dreadful sense that it will be just kind of like a cgi uh monstrosity rather than kind of like the physical uh, tactile kind of wonder that a lot of his best work has
1: mm. yeah um I think uh, Al Pacino is 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 more than uh, overdue uh, mm. if not a comeback or a return to form I mean we we kind of bemoan uh De Niro and Pacino as uh, you know the greatest actors of their generation but you know now we'll do literally anything mm. um, and you know you watch something like uh Jackie Brown for you know for a long time was Robert De Niro's last great performance and then uh, a couple of years ago, he's fantastic in Silver Lining's playbook. Whether the film kind of chimes with you or not, he's, he's really good in it and you know, he does mm-hmm. great work, but he's just kind of regressed after that. Al Pacino needs one of those, and I think he's got a film out at the moment, hasn't he? Uh, that's coming out. Um, that is, um, oh god, what is it? It's, it comes with, you know, he made Looking for Richard the documentary about, um, uh, richard Third. yes where he's done very good yeah uh he's done another film um he's done a film uh, based on an old lit- literary character i think it's an oscar wilde thing
0: it's and a then... salome isn't
1: it oh yeah salome that's right and he's made a documentary alongside it as well in much the much the vein of that uh, maybe something like that could kickstart him. But
0: yeah hopefully because like you know you you put on um looking for richard at the lantern in uh, sheffield a few years I, ago i did yeah uh where i got to watch it and that's a fantastic documentary and it it kind of suggests that he's a, a man with kind of untapped potential as a filmmaker and as a director because that's a, something that blends sort of documentary history and performance in a really interesting way mm. um and you kind of would like to see him do that he's also got a film with david gordon green out this year called manglehorn Mm. Uh, which, uh, you know, David Gordon-Green seems to have entered a period in his career where he wants to try and rescue actors who used to be great and now overact. Um, <laughs> so hopefully that's good, although I heard very mixed things. Um, although I'm really hoping that at some point someone shouts, Manglehorn, get in my office now! Because <laughs> it's a name that deserves to be yelled.
1: Um, also sounds it, like a really unfortunate disease. Oh, he's <laughs> he's got Manglehorn. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's bad.
0: Warren Beatty is another one I just thought of. I'd really like to see him kind of return.
1: But, uh, no, he's a weird case, isn't he? Because like he just doesn't want to work. Yeah,
0: he he. I think he's he's talking about making a film about uh, about Howard Hughes, who's someone who's always kind of fascinated him, um, and that may or may not happen. But it was really it was really weird because when the story broke, it says they finally managed to get together the fifteen million to make it or something like that. And I was like. That doesn't seem like a lot in Hollywood terms. Like it seemed, it just made me feel really sad that you know Warren Beatty, who admittedly hasn't made a film since Bullworth in 1998, um, you know that he, it, apparently it was very very difficult to kind of scrape together what seems like a, a fairly paltry sum.
1: You think he could just have a whip round with his mates down the country club and you know probably find that on the street, uh, you know in Bel Air.
0: Yeah, he must have loaned like Nicholson five million for coke in the 70s that he can call back, a, call back for.
1: I don't think you're seeing that again, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest. Um, so, yeah, uh, comebacks. Um, oh, yeah, Eddie Murphy. Uh, we we talked a lot about him recently, especially on a couple of, Old uh, no, 100 things. You watch something like Dreamgirls, uh, and you realise, fuck, dude, this guy is amazing. But then you see someone like Norbit, and then, yeah, you kind of think, this guy... Yeah, probably shouldn't work again.
0: Yeah, that's another kind of wasted potential where he went from being in that and then you think, oh, you know, he's he's this guy's just like a firecracker, he's got so much energy, and then he's doing, like, Meet Dave and imagine that, and you think, Mm. why why didn't someone give him a gritty drama?
1: Yeah, well, that's it. He's locked into making kind of kids' films, isn't he, now? So it's like, you know, kind of all he's doing, really. Yeah, so yeah, that's Comebacks. Um... I enjoyed that one uh, we uh, we've covered quite a lot of ground talked about a lot of kind of failed careers and chat and <laughs> dreams um, but yeah um, if you uh, have enjoyed the show then please subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher Smart Radio uh, find us on Facebook and Twitter and uh, if you do listen to us leave us a little review uh, or you know and give us a star rating uh, we like those and um, helps more people find us and uh, yeah just generally gets the word out. Um, so until next time it's goodbye from me and goodbye from me and goodbye from me